This is Aaron's Journey. Hi everyone, this is Aaron Kronosky of Aaron's Journey, and today I got a special guest for you guys today. I got Noah McNeil, who is the performer and voice of Bear from Bear in the Big Blue House. Would you go ahead and please introduce yourself? Hello everybody, my name is Noel McNeil, and I am a professional puppeteer. Yes, it is a weird word for a grown man to say, but yes, I am a puppeteer. That is my job, that is my passion, that's how I make a living. That's what I do, and I'm really happy to be here talking with you, Aaron, and your friends out there. To get started here, um, how would you say your career started? Um, let's see. Well, my career started uh, back when there were a lot more uh, uh, puppets on television, because uh, when I was growing up, there was no interweb and instantaneous things that you could just pull out on your phone. There was no YouTube, there was just television, and there were certain shows that had puppets on them. You could Google them if you want to. There were shows called like Kukla Fran and Ollie, uh, Captain Kangaroo, of course, uh, Mr. Rogers. Uh, there was also Sherry Lewis, who was a female ventriloquist, and he, she had a character named Lamb Chop. There was uh, Paul Winchell, who was also a ventriloquist. He had uh, Jerry Mahoney time, which was Paul Winchell and his dummies, Jerry Mahoney. Um, and uh, Knucklehead Smith, and it was called Winchell Mahoney Time. By the way, Paul Winchell not only went on to become the voice, the original voice of Tigger for the Walt Disney cartoons, but he also invented the artificial heart. Oh, so okay. puppetry can save lives. So there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so there were a lot more shows. And so, and it was the, the these kind of puppets were like the old fashioned kind of puppets where um, if you, hold up like three fingers and your thumb and uh, middle finger uh, would be the hands and your uh, pointing finger would go up in the head and just like bob the head. So it'd be kind of like those kind of puppets. And then when I was about, oh, I guess when I was seven years old, uh, one Sunday night on our local uh, Channel 13, there was a half hour show, and which you can Google. Uh, and it was the show that was introducing a brand new kid show that was coming on the next day. and. It was being hosted by two puppets. And the puppets were the kind of puppets I'd never seen before. Their mouths actually moved. And one of them actually, his hands actually moved as well. He could pick things up. And the one with the movable hands had the shape of a football for a head. And the other one kind of had a pointy banana head. And their names were Ernie and Bert. Oh, and okay. they were talking about this brand new show coming on the next day called Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. And they showed clips of Sesame Street, including, um, you know, some of the inserts, some of the cartoons. But it's when I saw Big Bird that mm -hmm. I was blown away because it was the first time I ever saw a puppet that could actually walk around and talk. Now, you can Google this. Back then, for that first episode, for those first couple of episodes, Big Bird is not the Big Bird you see now. Mm -hmm. it, he evolved into the sort of quintessential six-year-old so that the, um, the kids at home could identify with what Big Bird was going through. Back then, he was a lot goofier. In fact, his voice kind of sounded like goofy and was more awkward and clumsy and his feathers uh, were kind of like pinned on upside down. So 
it was a different big bird, but still it was a puppet that could walk around. And so I was amazed and I started following um, the, these puppets, which were, I found out were called Muppets. And they did other things. They did specials like the Frog Prince and the Bremen Town Musicians and Hey Cinderella. And they would make appearances on TV shows. And then the guy in charge, Jim Henson, started The Muppet Show. And that was when I was in high school. And I loved The Muppet Show. It was on once a week, Monday night, 7.30 at Channel 2. And I never missed it, even during the summer when it was reruns. So when it became time to pick a college and figure out what I wanted to do, I thought, well, Jim Henson's doing this, and he's got all these people doing it with him. Maybe I could do it too. Maybe I could be a puppeteer. So mm -hmm. back then, I had to do research the old-fashioned way. I went to a place called the library. It's still around. It's like Barnes & Noble, but it's free. Mm -hmm. What's so great about the library? What's so great about the library? What's so great about the library? And I did research, and I found, because I lived on the East Coast, I found there were two colleges right in my area, because I lived in New York City in central Harlem. Uh, one was the University of Connecticut in Storrs, Connecticut, which to this day has a four-year puppetry program where you could get your master's, that's right folks, your master's degree in puppetry. The other school at that time here in Brooklyn, it was it's a Pratt Institute, and at that time Pratt had a theater department, and within the theater department was a puppetry course. And so I found out all the stuff and I was going to present it to my mom. Now my mom was a single mom. My dad walked out on us when I was 18 months old. That's a whole other story. And so she she raised me and her mom and her uncle. And she actually took on a second job to uh, put me through a private school. Because in our neighborhood, I could either go to the school where the kid got shot or the kid got stabbed. So I went downtown to, it was called Rhodes. And I went there for my uh, junior high and high school years. So I'm about to tell this single mom who's gotten down two jobs working seven days a week and I sit her down, get the information ready and say, okay, I know what I want to be. I want to be a puppeteer. And I kind of braced myself for the reaction. And she looked at me and she said, okay, what do we have to do? And I said, oh, well, there's this school in Connecticut, and there's this school in Brooklyn. Okay, what do we have to do? Oh, well, we have to fill out this, and it has to be due there, have to fill out this, do there. Okay, what do we have to do? That's all she kept saying. She just kept saying, what do we have to do? And that's pretty much how I got started, because this woman supported me. She always told me, don't get a job, get a career. Mm -hmm. And that's what she was helping me do. And so that was my start. Now, the next part was that I ended up going to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Uh, and the puppetry course that was taught there was taught by uh, a designer and builder for the Muppets. In fact, he designed and built Big Bird and Snuffy. And mm -hmm. his name was Kermit Love. And no, the frog was not named after him. It's just one of those weird little freaky coincidences that fate likes to throw at you. And so he was my teacher, and then during the summer, he gave me a summer job. I would, would go to his studio, and I would, you know, refurbish or, you know, or make, help make big birds. Mm -hmm. And pretty much, I would feather them. And so, it was a tedious little job, but it paid. And then, when I joined Pratt, when I got to Pratt, I got my interview at the, for the, with the head of the theater department, and he said that, 
they're closing the theater department. So you'll be the last person to graduate. In fact, you're the only one being admitted this year. So I literally would have been in a class by myself for my senior year. But the summer between my junior and senior year, that's when Kermit, assistant on Sesame Street, had quit. Mm-hmm. And he's offered me the job. And the job was to be the wrangler. And the wrangler is the person who <clears throat> takes care of the puppets and who makes sure they're ready for camera. And so after a microsecond of thinking about this, I said, yes. And so instead of going back to get my bachelor's degree, I went straight to um, Sesame Street and started my career in uh, television and also in puppetry. But I wasn't a puppeteer yet for Sesame Street. I was the wrangler. And so I learned all about TV production and going to production meetings and the setup and all the people it takes to put on you know, that one little show that you would sit down and watch. Mm-hmm. And so that's how my career started. I, I, bet, I bet it's really amazing for being able to do it for as long as you have. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 I am truly blessed the fact that I get to do what I wanted to do, like I actually set out to do from the time I was a kid, even through college, like this is what I wanted to do and I've actually been able to, to do it. From, uh, and I've done a lot, like I said. Um, during the 80s and into the 90s, there were still uh, puppet shows and shows with puppets on it. So I started on Sesame, then I uh, worked on a show called, um, for one season, The Great Space Coaster, and then I did um, Eureka's Castle. And then through the 90s, it was like Between the Lions and um, uh, The Puzzle Place, and then eventually Bear, and mm-hmm. another show called Ubi. And then all through this, too, there was also commercials. The 80s were great for puppet commercials. And the one that I, uh, I did the most was with uh, my friend Jim Krupa. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Snuggle, the original Snuggle commercials, mm-hmm. which were great. And yeah, and so, and, and, and we also did the movie. His, his company back then was called Three Design Studio. And we did the movie, uh, the special effects practical effects for a movie called Little Monsters, starring a very young Fred Savage and Howie Mandel, which I think is still on Netflix, if you want to check it out. So we did all the practical effects for that, as well as we did a like, practical effect in Alice, and I also did, um, <clears throat> also did the, the movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, oh, not okay. the first two with, with Henson, it was the third one with uh, Eric Allard, and so... We did that, and it was me, Gordon Robinson, who was a puppeteer from Fraggle Rock, Rick Lyon, who originated and performed uh, the puppets in uh, Avenue Q, the original Broadway cast, and Jim Martin, one of my dearest friends, who worked on the uh, puzzle place with him in Sesame Street and the Great Space Coaster. He's a great puppeteer and a director. And so the four of us did uh, the third Turtle movie. So yeah, every now and then, like these little things pop up. And now I'm, I still get to do it because I get to do a show that really doesn't concentrate so much on the alphabet. It's called uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And so every now and then when there's a really ridiculous puppet or uh, puppet-centric costume that they want animated and voiced, I get to go in and, and do it. The latest oh, one wow. I was was uh, this seven-foot-tall squirrel named Mr. Nutterbutter. So, yeah, it's amazing how somehow, like, puppetry always comes back <laughs> yeah yeah i mean believe me i'm i'm still shocked that you know it's that it's still going strong in the industry with uh puppeteering it's it's really amazing 
Oh yeah. Also, I just want to clarify, I was not just the voice of Bear, I actually performed Bear. So that's the thing, 99% of the time with puppeteers, you actually do the voice and puppeteer the character at the same time. So when people say, you know, always oh, like, you do the voice of Bear, I have to say yes, and I also performed it. And then suddenly they get a little bit more impressed, the fact that I was doing all this at the same time. It's like, yes, I was. I was encased and doing all this at the same time, and yet, it was like one of the best jobs I've ever had. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, as you were saying about that, um, how did that uh, position start for you? Ah, well, at the time I lived on the, the Upper East Side, and um, I got a call to come down to Henson because I've done things with 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 the Jim Henson company through the years. I actually knew Jim Henson. I actually worked with Jim and uh, and um, knew him my days of Sesame Street, so I would puppeteer with him, right hand with him, and I knew all the original Muppet performers, him, uh, Frank Oz, Jerry Nelson, um, um, Richard Hunt, uh, mm -hmm. Fran Brill, and of course, Carol Spinney. Mm -hmm. So um, I got a call to come down, and this was uh, 1997, like my March 1997, and I got a call to come down and do um, you know, an um, audition Mm -hmm. For this game show, they wanted to try and develop for I think it was I think it was uh, Nickelodeon somebody or or some other network, but it was a game show, and mm -hmm. it was this big puppet that you kind of sat in, kind of like an Audrey two kind of plant, like the, you know the plant from Little Shop of Horrors. And as I'm sitting in this prototype, I'm thinking, why don't you just get Marty Robinson to do it? Because Marty originated the character and the plant for the show. So he should really just be doing this. So, but I went in, I had fun, and then I left, and that was in the morning. And then that afternoon, like about four o'clock, I got a call again, and they said, "No, could you come back? Because we're auditioning um, for this other character, and we'd like you to come in and just try it." I was like, "Okay." So they faxed me, yes, kids, faxed me the illustration and the sides, you know, portion of the script for this character, and I got this really lovely drawing of this bear and these cute little characters and this moon behind them. I was like, "Oh, okay." I looked at the script and I. Jumped in the cab and went down to, because uh, at that time the Henson Studio was also on the Upper East Side, so it didn't take me long. And I got out. And as I walked in, um, Peter Van Roden, who was an executive at the time there, now he works at um, Warner Brothers in charge of the parks, uh, walked in and he said, Use your own voice. And I said, What? We don't do that with the Muppets. He said, No, use your own voice. And the premise was that they wanted a character who just had a fairly normal voice as opposed to other character who, if you heard it, would make you, you know, go crazy. Because they wanted Bear to be designed to be a show for kids and the caretakers, their parents, grandparents, babysitters, they could sit through together and actually enjoy. And the secret they thought was just having a character that just had a fairly nice, normal voice. So I said, okay. So I went into what I call Uncle Noel mode before I became a dad. And it was just the voice that I would do, or just the tone. Not really a voice, it's just the tone. Sort of that attitude I would have when I would visit my friends who had kids. And it would just be that, that sort of tone of like, okay, what do you want to do? I'm up for anything, you call the shots, let's have fun. And I got into the prototype, and the prototype didn't have any fur. It was just what's called um, the understructure. And it had a foam head, and I got inside. And I 
feel this. And it's like, it feels really nice. I mean, he's really well built. The people who work at the Jim Henson company are craftsmen. They are artists. They are, they're not just builders. They're true artists. And this had a great feel to it. And then suddenly I realized, wait a minute. You know what? This is like almost five o'clock. It's on a Friday. This is a courtesy call. You're not going to get this. And so I decided, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to do whatever I want. So I didn't think about even trying for the part. I just wanted to have fun. And so in the script, I remember it said that, you know, he, he sniffs the camera. So that's when I just jammed the nose all the way in and pulled it back out and did it again. And he holds up a glass of water and I hold it right up to the camera and line up his head behind so the eyes come through the water. I just had fun and just running around and just like, and then I just forgot all about it. And then that was it. And then that, that Monday, the following Monday, almost six o'clock in the evening, that's when I get a call. And I uh, get the message that uh, on the phone, it's like, no, it's like, you got the part. And I was stunned, like, what? <laughs> and it's like, yep, yeah, I, I got the part. And uh, we're gonna shoot the pilot. Now the other factor in between my audition and getting the part, that weekend, uh, a friend of mine, um, had invited me to see a mutual friend of ours. He was in an acapella group and having a competition. And he invited me to see it. And he invited a couple other people that he knew, but I didn't necessarily know. And one of the people was this uh, girl named Susan. And I show up and we see each other. And we, she had always heard about me. And I had never heard about her, but she had heard about me through Mike and I was a puppeteer. So she had this image in her mind that, oh, puppeteer. So he probably got some sort of like facial hair, probably a ponytail, probably some sort of like print of a, you know, a t-shirt with like a beer slogan on it. So I was a pleasant surprise for her and she was a very pleasant surprise for me. And then we went to a mutual friends by coincidence that Sunday um, 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 bridal shower. And so Monday I got the part for Bear and then starting that week, having gotten her number, I started dating her and she is now my wife. Amazing. Uh, Susan, Ely, Susan Elia McNeil, the author of the Maggie Hope Mysteries, available on Amazon with the newest edition, The Prisoner in the Castle. Get your copy today. That's my little infomercial. And now she's the, the mother of my son, who is 13 going on 42. So that was a very fateful 72 hours of my life. So you get those times in your life that sometimes they, 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 they just happen. You can't ever mm -hmm. predict them. So... Yeah, so that's uh, that's how I got Bear. From your perspective, uh, what was it like being Bear? Oh, it was great. It was it was it was wonderful. It was uh, I I pretty much took every trick that I learned from Carol Spinney, who originated Big Bird, and just applied it to Bear. And I, I told him that. In fact, uh, at the time, the first season um, of Bear, we shot at. Kaufman Studios in Long Island City, New York. Downstairs is where they shoot Sesame Street, and upstairs is where we shot Bear. Now Sesame Street's actually in that studio, but we shot Bear upstairs. So one day Carol came up, and his wrangler, Lars, Laura McLean, brought up Big Bird. Now Big Bird comes in kind of like two halves. There's the top half, the head and mm -hmm. the body, and then Carol would normally wear the, the legs like a pair of pants with the feet attached. But he just walked upstairs with his jeans on, and, and Lark had has a um, Big Bird, and so I get in Bear, 
and we wanted to take a picture with Big Bird and Bear together. But since Carol didn't have his legs on, Big Bird and Bear stood behind the couch. <laughs> so this way, we have these great pictures of them together, but Big Bird's staying behind the couch because otherwise he'd be showing off these really sleek, like, Levi jeans that he'd have on <laughs> with these tiny little feet. <laughs> and so that was, that was a real, tre- that was a real uh, treasure for me because uh, having my mentor, Carol, come up and, I've, um, and visit, and, uh, which, which, was, which was great. And Bear was a wonderful character. He's, he's one of the few characters for a kid's show, especially the primary character of a kid's show, who's an adult. Because mm-hmm. most of the characters are kids, but he was an adult. And so he could actually do more as mm-hmm. a, because he was an adult. And especially when I would do appearances on other shows, especially like Hollywood Squares, because then Bear could be a little cheeky because he was a grown-up. Mm-hmm. So it was great. Also the fact that you know Bear could walk around. So mm-hmm. I, I had that, that freedom. I could just walk around, which was wonderful. But the, the true highlight of Bear was that um, doing his popularity was whenever I did appearances, I always asked if there was a uh, children's hospital nearby that I could go visit. <laughs> and, we, and we would do it. So went to the one in um, Chicago, uh, Mexico City, um, and uh, Seattle. Mm-hmm. This beautiful children's hospital, and then this one resort in Kiss, uh, Kissimmee. Is it Kissimmee or Kissimmee? I'll probably get debates upon this. It's in Florida, okay. and it's called Give Kids the World, and it's this wonderful resort designed for kids who are terminally ill and their families, mm-hmm. and everything is free. They just like the resort is free, transportation is free. They get park tickets, they get these special meet and greets passes it's all free and i went there twice as bear and did a, an appearance there and it was great because when you do something like that and go to a hospital suddenly and i i realized it it was important then but now as a parent i truly appreciate those moments when you go when bear would go in and suddenly it wasn't another doctor or a nurse coming in to do another test or get a sample from the kid it was his character and suddenly this kid wasn't a patient anymore. This kid was a kid, and the parents could actually see that. They actually could see their their kid be a kid again and smile, and that was truly uh, gratifying to, to see that. The last time I did give kids the world, I would do like I always had like a little twenty minute show that I would do, with the songs, and there was a a girl there, and her and her family had come down. Now, they have what's called rush wishes rush wishes is when the condition and situation for the kid and the family is so serious that they have to do it like right then and there mm-hmm. because because of a time factor and so they want it and and literally like they they can do all this in in the span of like like 24 hours they could just like just just do it and so uh they came down cuz the, their wish was they wanted to um, see Bear in the Big Blue House at that time at the Disney Studios back then it was called the Disney MGM Studios there was Bear in the Big Blue House Live which eventually became Playhouse Disney Live which eventually became Disney Junior Live which just closed but it was originally the Bear Show mm-hmm. and they wanted to come down and they wanted to see Bear and it was all arranged that they would see the show and then afterwards get a photo op with Bear <laughs> by sheer coincidence I was there the morning that they were about to go and do this. And so they got to actually meet the real bear just by 
coincidence and actually talk to Barry. Because that's the other thing. The, the characters there, they can't, they're not allowed to talk. And so mm-hmm. the show, they would lip sync along to our pre-recorded voices. So when they would meet Bear, you know, he wouldn't be allowed to talk. So after I did my little show and started talking with, with them, I said, you know, you're going to go see the show. It's going to be great. We do a lot of singing, a lot of dancing. Now, I have to tell you, after all that singing, all that dancing, this bear gets a little tired. My voice gets a little hoarse. I can be a little hoarse for a bear. So if I don't talk to you, that's because I'm save, I have to save my voice for the next show. So I'm coming up with this excuse of why bear is suddenly going to be silent when you see me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it was just, it's just like one of those things where it was just, it was just fate that, it just worked out that way that I happened to be there with the actual bear and they were going to go see the show and they, it, it, you couldn't have planned it other than like, you know, destiny doing it for us. So that's the, the real takeaway from bear that I, I love is the fact that I could uh, do that for kids and their families. Like I've done make a wishes and do that. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, anyway, uh, when it comes to filming for Bear in the Big Cool House, um, how did that work? Oh, uh, very well. No, the long answer, that was the short answer. The long answer is that uh, with Bear, uh, we would do shows in sort of a two-week span, five days a week, Monday okay. through Friday. Okay. And we would, and we would do uh, six shows in two weeks. Now, the way it was done, and if you go back and kind of look at the show, <laughs> then you kind of figure out how summer was done is that first of all there was there was the the script had the, what the writers had dubbed bearish interruptus like pretty much there was a pattern mm-hmm. and it was always bear greets you he has a plan he gets interrupted he tells you the theme of the show he sings the song asks you what you think come back tries to do it again gets interrupted goes off oh here's shadow here's a shadow story tries one more time gets interrupted again but somehow the friends maybe all come together and help him do it and with one more song and then he goes upstairs talks to the moon she gives him the big picture because she is the moon they sing the goodbye song and that's it so there was actually a certain pattern to all this mm-hmm. um so then what we would do is all the shadow segments and the luna parts we would do the second friday so the friday friday of the second week would mm-hmm. just be dedicated to doing all the shadow segments and all the Luna segments. So in the morning, we would set up the green screen, or blue screen, and we would set up Shadow, which was, uh, now Shadow is one, Shadow and Luna are one of those rare puppets where Peter Lynch did the head, he manipulated them, but he didn't do the voice. Mm-hmm. Shadow was done by uh, Tara Mooney, who's a wonderful uh, Celtic Irish singer, mm-hmm. uh, who's back in Ireland now. And Luna was performed, her voice, was voice performed by uh, actress Lynn Thigpen, mm-hmm. who was an amazing character actress uh, from, mm-hmm. um, from television, from the movies. In fact, if you've ever seen the movie The Warriors, mm-hmm. she is the voice of the DJ. You never see her, vo- her face, but she's the voice of the DJ. Oh, and okay. she was also in the, yes, yes. And so, so, the, so those were recorded. And so they would play them back and then we would do it. But we would have to, for Bear's side, we'd have to set up certain things so that it would match mm-hmm. what, what it looked like when we did it before. And then there would be certain songs that we could always like throw in. If the show was running like short or you just needed to fill it, mm-hmm. we called them cycle songs. 
And the cycle songs were Clean Up the House. Come on, everybody, let's clean up the house. Let's go! Come on, everybody, let's clean up the house. A song that I wrote, which was called Come On, Come on in. in. Stay a while, come on in and share your smile. Come on in, I wish you would. And I bet you're smelling good. When you're here, it makes me grin. Great to see ya. How you been? You know you're always welcome. So just come on in. Mm -hmm. And so those are songs that you could just plug in. And so kind of like to round out the show. And also the goodbye song, um, we only recorded that one time. Mm -hmm. I actually uh, audio recorded it. And Peter Lurie wrote it. And it's one of the most beautiful and at the same time saddest songs ever written for a kid's show. <laughs> but it's gorgeous. And Lynn and I recorded that initially, and that was it. That was the initial one. For other versions of it, that's when they would add, like, we did versions where the other characters sang. But then for each season, we would, re um, we would uh, tape, we would record visually Baron Luna singing the song. And then that's it. For that mm -hmm. season, that would be the one that would always be used. So whenever Bear said, you know, Luna, would you mind singing the goodbye, the goodbye song before you go? So, of course, Bear. And then when you cut to Bear turning, that's what we already shot. So it's like mm -hmm. that scene's done. And so it became very functional and economical just to, to do it that way. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So and then we would uh, take a week off to like we would have us um, to do pre-recordings and kind of rest. And uh, we would have read-throughs at lunch for upcoming scripts. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and we, we did, I think we did like almost like 120 episodes of it. Or somebody knows out there. I think DJ Bob knows about it. Yeah. Another, um, another colleague of yours in this is DJ Bob. And he is sort of like the archivist of 90s kids' memory. So he would definitely yeah. know. But I think yeah, it's yeah. definitely over 118 episodes that we did. And so yeah. um, it's great. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And the thing is, too, to this day, there are still episodes being found. Yes, just recently, as of this conversation, somebody uncovered the last episode of the series, mm -hmm. and uh, the last episode of the series was uh, the the tone of it was my idea mm -hmm. because I thought, um, what if everybody thought Bear was leaving and never coming back? And so that became, and of course it was a misunderstanding. Bear had actually won a contest mm -hmm. to go to kind of like Wilderness Lodge. Mm -hmm. And so he's getting ready to leave, but everybody thinks he's actually leaving. So it became a show about appreciation and how much they appreciated Bear. And the last song is called Thank You, Bear. And then Bear says, like, I'm just going on a vacation and I can take, you know, five of my best friends. So it's like, you know, Pip and Pop and Ojo mm -hmm. and uh, Trilo and Tutter all mm -hmm. get to go with him. And for that last show, that's when they redress the attic to look like this hotel room of, the, of, of like a wilderness lodge, mm -hmm. which just coincidentally has a balcony. And so Bear steps out and wonders. And that's when Luna rises. She's like shocked. Like, Bear, what are you doing here? <laughs> and so they have um, this great conversation about how much uh, Bear felt appreciated and Luna's takeaway is, like, it's, you know, we touch our lives 
in mm-hmm. so many ways each day. Wouldn't it be nice if it was always a positive way? And we mm-hmm. sing the goodbye song one more time. This was the clip that was used at um, Lynn Thigpen's memorial. She died mm-hmm. um, after we did the series. A lot of people think the, the series didn't come back because Lynn died. No, that's not true. The, the series by Disney Channel standards had run its course, and that's it. So mm-hmm. we were done with the actual series, Bear in the Big Blue House. And then after that, that's when Lynn Thigpen died. So for the memorial service, I was the last speaker and uh, introduced the clip, and that's when they showed the clip, and it was in a dry eye in the house, let me tell you. Um, so so that's, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty much like like how the, the last show ended, it kind of wrapped up. Um, but yeah, it's like, and because of that, suddenly like people have like, you know, started following me on Twitter and on my, um, my YouTube channel, which is called The Show Me Show. And so because all of a sudden, and it's, uh, it's, it's really gratifying and it's really an honor and it's just wonderful the fact that this little show that we did has made such an impact on so many people, even all these years later that they still remember this bear who would come up to the screen and sniff you and ask how you were doing. <laughs> so yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's really, it's really nice. It's, it's a nice legacy to, to, to have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, and, uh, and from, especially from when I, when I talked to your, um, when I talked to your uh, one colleague, when I talked to him, I once asked him, I once kind of asked him about like how, like, uh, kind of like how difficult it was. And, and, he said to me that it was really difficult for on for you on your side for when you had to do bear. Right. First to clarify to the audience, like to your friends, who who did you speak to? <laughs> My colleague. I have many colleagues. Well, We're a weird bunch. Well, I mean, well, well, you gotta again, narrow it down. Um, well, again, His colleague wiggled dolls. Well, you gotta narrow it down more. So. Uh, well, your your colleague, um, DJ Bob. Oh, him, yes. Oh, that guy, yes. <laughs> Yes, DJ Bob, yes, because he uh, was also a, a Bear fan. And so, yeah, it was like, Bear is pretty much what I call the Big Bird technology, meaning that I'm inside, mm-hmm. and it's basic puppetry, where I put my hand up over my head, and my arm went through Bear's neck, and my hand went into his head, and my thumb was in his lower jaw, and my four top fingers were in the top palate, and there was a little slide, a little trigger that I could slide back and forth on my index index finger. And that's what made his eyebrows, his eyes open and close. Mm -hmm. And in order to see, I had a monitor strapped to my chest and a microphone on top of that. So what you saw at home, that's what I saw. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, this is not a mirror image. Everything is reversed. So Mm -hmm. when I would turn Bear's head to the left on screen, it looked like he was looking to the right, but I just kind of knew this mm-hmm. and my left hand would go into his left arm and there was a, a, a string a very thin monofilament that went from his left wrist up to his neck through a ring and down to his right wrist which was and his arm was stuffed so whenever I moved the left arm the other one would move but there were times where we could actually have his right hand move and little sneaky tricks that uh, me and Jim Krupa came up with and you'd be like wait a minute how did that happen and so for that, I couldn't see out. I could only see what was given to me from the camera. So that's why, especially for like the foyer, there's like the rugs and what's all the threshold, the little strips of wood uh, on the, the doorway of the, di- of the kitchen and the living room. So this way, 
when I was walking around, I could actually feel with my feet where I was, if I was off the rug or on the rug or near mm -hmm. the threshold or off the threshold. So I could actually, it, it was kind of like learning like how to live in your own home if you suddenly went blind and you just like mm -hmm. feel around and you could also kind of gauge. Um, and so with practice, I really found out. In fact, the first day I got in early and I went through and I just walked around the set. And then I walked around the set and also up and down the stairs. And then I also walked around the set with my right arm over my head just to get used to that. And then I walked around again, but this time I had my eyes closed for certain mm -hmm. parts just to see like how it would feel. And then so you just learned it from there. And people asked, was it hot inside? And I said, yes, but it was a dry heat. And I put a thermometer in one time and it got up to like 92 degrees inside because it's fur. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was structured so that it could still be breathable. You could still, like, you could still feel the heat coming off me if you got really close. But, you know, it's still hot inside, which is why the studio was always, the air conditioning was always cranked up to maximum. So in the studio, it was freezing. That first season, people complained how cold it was. But it was just like, look, the guy in the bear suit might just pass out. So we got to kind of factor in that. So the... Shows often give what's called a wrap gift. After you wrap up the show, you mm -hmm. give the cast and crew a little memento of that season. For that first season, everybody got uh, gray fleece jackets with the logo and the name of the show embroidered on the front. And the logic of that was that, okay, next season, it's going to be just as cold, but now you've got a fleece jacket to wear to keep you warm and stop complaining. Mm -hmm. so, that's what they, so that's what they did. So, And the other factor was, too, is that you don't see it, but... The entire house, the first and the second floor, it was actually raised up on platforms four feet off the floor. Mm -hmm. And so they could pop out pieces of the floor so that the puppeteers, Tyler Bunch, Peter Lives, uh, uh, Vicki Eibner, and other puppeteers we would have come in, they could stand and hold the puppets up. Mm -hmm. And they would have, and then the, the crew would put in these boards along the edges. So this way, when I walked in, I, I could feel with my foot where to stop and not go toppling in. I never fell in once, that's the thing. Never mm -hmm. fell in, never crushed my cast members. That's a, that's a general rule when you're a bear. Never crushed your cast members. <laughs> and so I could actually feel with my feet where to stop and all that. So mm -hmm. it, was a, it was an adventure. It was, it was really cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely. Like, I... Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I especially bet, especially I, I especially bet for when you had to do like, especially the, with the dancing and things like that, that it, that it was really, that it was really demanding on you physically. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was like it, it, it keeps you in, it keeps you in shape. One thing about um, the puppet, and that's what I call like I always say like you know the bear suit or like you know, the puppet because he was a puppet, but I never say costume. Um, one thing about it is like if you tried something then it was almost Bear's way of saying, okay, you feel that? You, you, you see how that feels right now? See how uncomfortable that is? Don't do that again. You really don't want to do that again. Try and think of something else that's a little bit easier. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so, and then often like with the director, the, the director would say to me, and I tell this rule when I audition and train puppeteers uh, for the international versions of Sesame, I'll say, you know, occasionally, you know, the director might ask you to do something. You know, can you do this? And if it's not possible, if it really isn't possible, then you have the right to say no. But you have to come up with an alternate that's just as good, if not mm -hmm. better. So that's what I would do. I would, you know, sometimes the 
director was often uh, Mitchell Kriegman or the creator or um, Dean Gordon, uh, who was the, uh, the uh, assistant director. They said, no, I said, Bear, could you do this? And Bear was like, no, but I could do this. <laughs> and they would often like it better. So just to make sure that I would like last through this because um, Bear was in pretty much every scene. There was one episode I wanted to direct and uh, uh, in general, puppeteers kind of self-direct because we're always looking at the monitor. We're always looking at the image you see at home. So we're always kind of self-directing us, ourselves. Uh, mm -hmm. But to officially have the title of the director, I wanted to direct an episode. So they specifically wrote for the fourth season an episode where Bear wasn't in every single scene. And it's called Volunteers of Woodland Valley. And it's where Bear is going to go volunteer at the library and volunteer at the fire station. And he hurts his foot, so he can't go. So then his friends end up going in his place. And so that way I was out of the scenes, and I, that way I could actually uh, direct the, uh, the episode. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but <laughs> the scenes that I wasn't Bear, it was very interesting, like, to do the scene. And then Bear would suddenly look at camera and say, cut. <laughs> and we were just, that was it. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so it, was, it was good. <laughs> Especially for even when you had to direct, um, when you had to direct um, for the show, that was really difficult, especially with the set. Um, well, we had, by that time, we knew how to, we pretty much knew how to do it. Uh, you never saw it, but the, the Big Blue House was actually split in two. So there was, mm. uh, the platforms were really, really wide and big. The fourth, the the uh, the attic, the otter pond, and the first floor were on one side, and on the other side was Bear's bedroom, the upstairs landing, and the bathroom. And down the middle ran what was called Camera Alley. So this is where all the cameras were. Mm -hmm. and so when, when the cameras could just turn around and then be on the, the second floor. directed which was called uh, uh, clean up the truck I actually storyboarded it in order to, sh to show the camera guys exactly mm -hmm. and myself what I was going for and then you give them they get what's called shot notes so on um, mm -hmm. you know shot one you got this uh, shot three you know mark you got that and just like they know and Dean Gordon who's a great assistant director he, he knows how to cut like line uh, just cut the cameras on cue and so mm -hmm. it came out uh, really well. So we only did the song. I think we only did the song like not that not that long. <laughs> it was um, like just um, it, it was actually it was edited because it's different sections, but it didn't take that long. But you want to take the time to, to do it right, and in order to do it right, it helps to like plan ahead and and do it. So this way, because you know this is there's a reason why it's called show business, and you know you got all these people, and you got the studio, and you don't want to go into what's called overtime and get and paying more money. So you got to make it as economical and still get the quality that you want. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, so it was really fun to do, to direct that episode. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, for what you're saying about, um, how for like, um, how the house was, um, uh, functioning and whatnot. Um, I'm guessing, I'm guessing that was like on the green screen set. Uh, yeah, it was like the, the platform, I mean, the platform was almost the entire length and width of the studio. There was areas on the side. 
you know, where you could like walk up onto the platform. But yeah, they would lower down the green screen and it would be onto the, um, the platform. In fact, the uh, attic was at one end of the, the platform. And then the green screen was all the way at the other end. And so, uh, and it was lit just what, that was, that was the dedicated green screen area. Mm -hmm. So, um, for, for the, for the episode I directed when, um, Pip and Pop and Tutter trying to do story time at the library. Uh, these bunnies are there. And there's only so many bunnies we have. I think we only had like, well, maybe like five or six. But it's supposed to be this chaos. So what we did was we, we shot the scene with bunnies. I'm one of the bunnies. And with Pip and Pop on the set. It was locked, it was locked off. And then the following Friday, remember back to what I was saying before how the second Friday was always chroma key, green screen day. Mm -hmm. And so when it was set up for shadow and all that, after we did that, after we did shadow, that's when we set it up again to do another layer of bunnies to put on top of the scene that we had shot the week before. And then we did one more layer on top of that. So then it looked like all of these bunnies jumping and running around and just complete chaos for Pip and Pop and Tudor to deal with. And so that's how, that's how we shot it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so again, we just like waited knowing, and it was the kind of thing, we just knew that, okay, next week, that's when we'll, we'll put in more bunnies, and we just kept going. <laughs> more bunnies, more bunnies. <laughs> more, more cowbell, more bunnies. <laughs> absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, besides being in the Big Wheel House, you did the spinoff. Yeah, after that, um, Nancy Cantor, who uh, ran uh, uh, the kids' division of Disney Channel, uh, she loved Bear, and so she wanted to know if, about a spinoff, and asked, like, could Bear, like, improvise with kids? And I was like, sure, that's, I love doing that with kids, because I would do that all the time when I would visit places. And so it was this premise where Bear would go, and he was in the real world, and he mm -hmm. went to actual kids' homes. We actually shot in kids' homes, which, by the way, are not designed for a seven-foot-tall bear with a really wide hip girth. So it was very interesting getting through narrow doors. But he went to the weird world, and we shot uh, 10 episodes in New York, in the New York area, and then 10 in, uh, um, I think, in, in um, the Los Angeles area. And we actually went to, 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 to kids' homes. There was the one kid whose family, and he lived in the Big Apple Circus. There was another kid living on the Upper East Side on like the 26th floor of this apartment building. There was another kid who actually lived on the Fort Irwin Army Base in the middle mm -hmm. of the Mojave Desert. And that was an amazing experience because um, what during the course of the, the show, Bear does little things with the kids, like helps the kid you know, get energized in the morning, doing the morning mambo after the kid wakes up. Then you go to a cartoon, then you come back, and now it's time for breakfast. And Bear and the kid would have breakfast. And it varied, like what the kids liked to eat, and they would talk about it, and then go away. We're shooting the breakfast scene at, for the kid at Fort Irwin, when suddenly the phone rings. And the mm -hmm. mom is so embarrassed, oh, I'm so sorry. And she goes and answers the phone. And we can hear her in, in, nearby, it's like, no, I can't talk right now. No, no, Bear's here. No, Bear, he's in the kitchen. It's like, like <laughs> call me back. I'll talk to you later, bye. And she comes back and I'm so sorry, that was my husband. And, I, and Bear says, wait a minute, your husband, who's deployed 
in Afghanistan right now? <laughs> and Bear said, call him back. We will wait. It's okay. It's fine. She's like, no, no, no. He'll go back later. It's like, are you sure? <laughs> and Bear's like, okay. Uh, so where were we? <laughs> yeah, and so... Uh, yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, so we actually, we took kids' homes, and it was actually really cool. There was, the kid who lived on the Upper East Side uh, was great. We did this one take with him where he just liked to pretend, he liked pretending to be superheroes. And so he and Bear put on these sheets and pretended to be superheroes. And this kid, he started, and it just took off. It's like you couldn't have written such a great scene. This was pure imagination. He was fantastic. He said, could you be with us every week? Because you're, you're, you are so good. He was great. It was so much fun. And actually, in the kid's bedroom, you're trying to like squeeze inside and <clears throat> do this. There was another kid in uh, California and uh, Bear. And, and the thing is like, you know, it, 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 it was, wasn't scripted. It was like improv. It was like Bear would, you know, ask the kids like certain things like, you know, what do you like for breakfast? And just go off from there. It's like, so what, how do you get you know, like, how do you, you know, when you, what's your routine in the morning? You know, how do you get dressed? And this one kid in California said, like, well, I get dressed, but then I have to leave my shoes outside because the rug is so white that one time I came in with dirt on my shoes and my mom screamed at me. And so from then I had to go outside, although I was be punished. And meanwhile, because you're in the actual kid's home, mm-hmm. you know, the director, Rick Fernandez, has his monitor in another room, and so is the mom. And she's watching this and just cringing from embarrassment, having her kid just say this. Of course, we never used that part, but it was really fun just how honest kids are. Just like, you ask them a question and they'll just answer you. And just like, another kid who lived on Staten Island said that sometimes he oversleeps, so his mom will come in with like, a, you know, a cup of water and splash it in his face. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, and it's like, wow, so the kid gets waterboarded every morning, so, <laughs> but, and again, you know, the mother's just, like, dying, but of course, we're laughing, and we didn't use it, but it was just really interesting how kids are just very honest, like, yep, this is what we do every morning, so we just kind of work around that, so, and in order to, to do this, in order to, in order to the, do the kids, um, um, in order for the kids to, to be in this, we had to um, audition them, we really did. Mm-hmm. And so we auditioned kids in uh, New York and in um, Los Angeles. And what we did was we, you know, I was in Bear in this mm-hmm. room, big conference room, and we would have, you know, a certain number of kids come in at a time mm-hmm. and they would see Bear. And mm-hmm. right off the bat, as soon as the kids came in, it's like, you know, the kids are already auditioning because it's just like, how are you going to react to Bear? It's like, are you going to be afraid of Bear? Are you going to be shy with Bear? Are you going to be like happy to see Bear? And so we just go from there. And Bear would sit and talk with them, mm-hmm. and then we would put on like you know the cha cha cha. Bear would teach them cha cha and see how the kids would interact. I remember there was a kid in Los Angeles who came in. Actually, it was two kids who came in. They were like siblings. They were brothers, and they sat down. They sat down on their stomachs and put their hands underneath their chin, and they just watched Bear the entire time. They didn't interact, they didn't say hi, they watched him. And I realized they watched him like they would watch him on television. <laughs> and so it was like, it was really nice that you came, but we can't use you because <laughs> we actually need interaction. <laughs> but it was really interesting how like these kids were just like, like this is how they, they, 
they, they related to him. He was a TV character, so they watched him on TV. So, yeah, now all those kids doing the math are, you know, in college, <laughs> having wonderful lives, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I, be, I bet you're glad you were able to get to do that spinoff. Oh, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. It, it aired for a year, and it was, uh, it was really fun. And, uh, um, yeah, and it was, it was really fun to see, because up until then, Bear was always, you know, in his home. You know, you mm -hmm. always went to his home in Woodland Valley. Um, but this time, he was actually in the real world, and he looked beautiful in the real world, again, because of the way he was designed and built. So he looked gorgeous, walking around and you know hailing cabs in New York City and riding you know a, an army jeep in the Mojave Desert and it was great it looked it looked it looked fantastic he looked awesome so uh, yeah it's like it's really nice getting puppets in the real world and having them interact in fact one of the things that you don't know is that during the show Bear would always say but what do you think and that's when we would cut to kids answering Bear's question of like what the topic was, and kids would answer the question. What you didn't know is that off camera, Vicky Eibner had Ojo, and so Ojo was talking to the kids, and Ojo was asking the question. So the kids are actually talking to Ojo off camera, <laughs> and not just some person. But they wanted that kind of just like nice casual familiarity, and just like and just go with it. And that's what you do. That's the kind of thing with. With the kids and what I did with Bear, it was like, you know, I would just talk to the kids. As soon as Bear and the kids were together uh, for breakfast with Bear, Rick would just say rolling and we just roll camera and just roll and just roll and just keep it going. And then whatever you got, you could edit it together really nicely. But mm -hmm. just, just talk to the kid. And some kids need warming up more than others, but mm -hmm. some don't. But you just want to just like talk casually about anything and everything and then if it leads back to what we have to talk about, like, what are you having for breakfast? It's like, what mm -hmm. is this? And mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it was worse. So that was, that was fun. Um, interacting with the kids was really nice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean, other than Bear in the Big Bull House, um, you have done, uh, um, you have done uh, stuff for Way other shows much. like, for, for shows like, uh, let's see, I know there was, the Book of Pooh, um, let's see. Yes. I, um, but the same, the same guy who created Bear, Mitchell Krugman, he created The Book of Pooh, and it was, and that was all uh, green screen. That was uh, the, the Winnie the Pooh characters that were made into puppets by Eric Engelhardt and Matt Brooks and, uh, and other people, and they're, they're faithful recreations of the animated characters. And that is an instance where we didn't do the voice, and here's why. We did a test mm -hmm. with uh, Pooh, Tigger, and Piglet, and the test was great. The test had the puppeteers doing their versions of the voices, and then it was the same test, but this time it was dubbed with the official animated voices, including Jim Cummings. And they showed both versions to kids. And the kids didn't care. In fact, the kids wanted to see more. The kids wanted to see other characters. But when they showed the moms, the mothers, the puppeteer voice version, the mom's reactions were always, oh, that's not how I remember Pooh sounding. Pooh sounded different when I was a little girl. And since moms and parents are the ones buying the merchandise, 
That's why we lip-synced to the official animated voices because that's what they knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it was like that's one of the rare times where you don't get to do the voice, even though it would have been fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the other thing uh, you said about that you're, that you're currently doing a new show of yours called Show Me Show. Um, tell me about that. Ah, Show Me Show is a show that I'm wanting to eventually turn into an online downloadable series for kids with autism and special needs because for, uh, for some time now I've been getting fan email from the kids that grew up with Bear who are now as I said in college um, and their parents thanking me for Bear and what a great series it was but a lot of them have always been from uh, the moms and some of the kids who are now grown of autism and special needs just mm-hmm. saying what a comfort it was what a great uh, show it was. It wasn't too loud. It wasn't too in your face. In fact, some of them still watch it on the DVD or the the VHS taped copies that they 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 downloaded. And I realized that there's no show like that on the air right now. There's no show that's sincere or genuine like Bear or Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be one for a long time. And here's why. A, f- a few years ago, I came up with this show that would teach kids about the concept of music. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it would star my friend Aaron Nigel Smith, who's this great um, family musician entertainer. And he would be the human and there would be puppets. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had like a map of the island because it took place on the island and little cutouts of the characters. And Aaron even did a version of like, you know, the theme song he thought of. And I had all this for this pitch meeting for this producer at one of the major kid networks, which I'll go nameless. And I'm just pitching this and pitching this, and her, right off the bat, she said, well, puppets are kind of geared for really young kids. Mm-hmm. And I bit my lip from saying, well, your channel is geared for really young kids. So, And that's one of the problems right now is that the people in charge of, of kids' channels uh, don't like puppets. It's just not their cup of tea. They don't have the same nostalgic feeling mm-hmm. for puppets. Linda Szymanski, who's the head of PBS, has gone on record publicly saying she doesn't like puppets. <laughs> and wow. so when I, um, when I uh, was pitching this, it, it started feeling like the last 45 minutes of Titanic. It was just really depressing after a while because I could see it was not going anywhere. And so I asked her, all right, what is it you really want? And she said, no, this is what we really want. If you could come up with an inexpensive 3D, even 2D show, Mm -hmm. where during the course of the adventure, the characters have to collect things that could then be translated into merchandise the kids at home have to buy, that is what we want. Mm -hmm. And that's when I just wiped my hands of network uh, kids shows like a uh, kid networks like no this is not for me and so I'm doing it myself I'm have on YouTube the show me show channel and putting up little videos little samples of what the actual show will be I'm getting friends of mine to contribute as well and ultimately what I want to do is I want to shoot it at University of North Texas in Denton Texas because the department that's run by James Martin mm-hmm. who's the founder and creator of what I and Peter Lins my uh, puppeteer colleague Every year we do this thing called Beyond the Sock. And Beyond the Sock is a master class in TV puppetry that Peter and I teach. And you can make your own puppets uh, through Pasha Romanowski. 
and it's a full television studio. And so I told James about my idea, and he said it sounded great. And so we're working now in trying to get the funding to have it done there mm -hmm. at that. And uh, hopefully I will have good news very soon as to whether or not that's gonna happen. But in the meantime, I'm putting up content on the Show Me Show channel on YouTube just to get the exposure and just to get uh, more people aware of it. Mm -hmm. And so people can share it and just get more and more exposure. Because that's the thing about social media, like the more people know about it, the more things mm -hmm. like happen. Mm -hmm. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. So after this, you can go over to the Show Me Show channel on YouTube and check out what Phineas, my friend, <laughs> My puppet yeah. friend and I have been doing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, and we also we also have a uh, now have a, an account on Patreon, so you can be part of the show and be a patron to the Show Me Show. Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah. um, so to kind of since I know we're gonna or time's gonna be a bit up, um, uh, just a couple more questions for you. Sure, go for it. Like I said, I blather, but go ahead. <laughs> I got time for a couple more. Um, anyway, um, what would you like to say to your to your um, what would you like to say to your friends, fans, and colleagues out there? Uh, well, that's 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 very different groups. Like my friends, my fans, and my colleagues. <laughs> uh, well, basically, like um, one way to, to wrap it up is to say that um, people um, have so much trouble like doing stuff. Like they'll have an idea, they'll have a, you know, a goal or a dream or, you know, and it re it's really hard for them to try and do it. And mm -hmm. that's because it's like people will believe in so many other things. They will believe in, you know, the opinion of their friends, their parents, their teachers. They will believe in their religious leaders, their political leaders. They will believe in conspiracy theories. They'll believe in aliens. They'll, they'll believe in you know, the boogeyman. They'll believe in everything except the one thing that they really should believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. People have the hardest time believing in themselves. And if you can believe in yourself, there is almost nothing you can't accomplish. Now, mm -hmm. again, it does help to have, you know, people believe in you. Like my mom believed in me and, you know, uh, my wife, who mm -hmm. is still, like, my biggest supporter, Susan mm -hmm. Ely McNeil, author of the Maggie Hope Mysteries, she believes in me. And mm -hmm. so, but it starts with you. It's like, you gotta believe in yourself. And so many times, it's like, people will just have, people have more I could have been's than actually been's as memories. And so just, just, <laughs> the current slogan, just do it. You know, mm -hmm. just do it. Just go ahead. Just try. Because my mom always say, said, you haven't failed if you've tried. So mm -hmm. just try. Just just go for it. Because I did. And, you know, God willing, I'll keep doing it. And I'll get to come back on and blather to you with more little stories of puppet land. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this last one's going to be a little extended. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, um, you wanted to say is bear, what would it be? And two, how can people get in contact with you? Ah, well, uh, let's see. To get in contact with me, you can write to uh, my email address, which is noelandtheshowmeshow at gmail.com. Okay. 
And uh, what Bear would say is like through all the, to everybody that he's known is that, uh, <clears throat> thank you so much for having come to the big blue house all those years. And by the way, you still smell so good. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So you do. He wouldn't lie. He's a bear. So really, it's like, <laughs> just don't lie. <laughs> they don't have time <laughs> between so... the foraging and the, you know the cha cha cha. They really don't have time to lie. So the, you know he's telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, no, um, I'd like to thank you for um, taking your time to come on to my podcast and uh, be able to hey. be able to finally get me some insight on the Bayern Big Bull House and uh, just just all the other things you have done. It's it's been a pleasure meeting you. You too. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you to all your friends out there for listening. And like I said, you know, after you get off of this, like go and check out the Show Me Show channel and then. You know, follow your dream, follow your goal, because you never know where it'll lead you. Goodbye, goodbye, good friends, goodbye. goodbye. And tomorrow, just by today, the moon, the bear, and the big blue house will be waiting for you to come and play. Come and play, come and play, bye now. <laughs>